These events happened in the days of King Xerxes, who reigned over 127 provinces stretching from India to Ethiopia. At that time, Xerxes ruled his empire from his royal throne at the fortress of Susa. In the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials. He invited all the military officers of Persia and India, as well as the princes and nobles of the provinces. The celebration lasted 180 days. A tremendous display of the opulent wealth of his empire and the pomp and splendor of his majesty. When it was all over, the king gave a banquet for all the people, from the greatest to the least, who were in the fortress of Susa. It lasted for seven days and was held in the courtyard of the palace garden. The courtyard was beautifully decorated with white cotton curtains and blue hangings, which were fastened with white linen cords and purple ribbons to silver rings embedded in marble pillars. Gold and silver couches stood on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, porphyry marble, mother of pearl, and other costly stones. Drinks were served in golden goblets of many designs, and there was an abundance of royal wine reflecting the king's generosity. By edict of the king, no limits were placed on the drinking. For the king had instructed all his palace officials to serve each man as much as he wanted. On the seventh day of the feast, when King Xerxes was in high spirits because of the wine, he told the seven eunuchs who attended him to bring Queen Vashti to him with the royal crown on her head. He wanted the nobles and all the other men to gaze on her beauty, for she was a very beautiful woman. But when they conveyed the king's order to the queen, she refused to come. This made the king and he burned with anger. He immediately consulted with his wise advisors who knew all the Persian laws and customs, for he always asked their advice. What must be done to Queen Vashti? The, queen, the king demanded. Nebuchadnezzar, one of the advisors, answered the king and his nobles. Queen Vashti has ruined not only the king, but also every noble and citizen throughout your empire. Women everywhere will begin to despise their husbands when they learn that Queen Vashti has refused to appear before the king. Before this day is out, the wives of all the king's nobles throughout Persia and Media will hear what the queen did and will start treating their husbands the same way. There will be no end to their contempt and anger. So if it pleases the king, we suggest that you issue a written decree. He should order that Queen Vashti be banished, forever banished, from the presence of King Xerxes, and that the king should choose another queen more worthy than she. When this decree is published throughout the king's vast empire, husbands everywhere, whatever their rank, will receive proper respect from their wives. The king and his nobles thought this made good sense. He sent letters to all parts of the empire, proclaiming that every man should be the ruler of his own home and should say whatever he pleases. So, I wanted to say up front today that um, the Bible story of Esther is perhaps R-rated. <laughs> you know, we, we tend to look at Bible stories and, we, and, and there is a cultural kind of understanding of, of considering Bible stories as kids' stories. But I do want to say that this story of Esther, even though it's 2,500 years ago that this happened in a culture that was very different from today, a culture of patriarchy, um, it is not a safe Bible story. 
So um, the thing about the top of the hill 
this time that 15,000 nobles regularly dined with the Persian kings. And so this is the kind of opulence and the kind of power that King Xerxes was used to. So we're going to pick up here where we've left off, um, coming into chapter 2. But after Xerxes' anger had subsided, he began thinking about Vashti, his queen, Queen Vashti, and thinking about what she had done and the decree that he had made. So his personal attendants suggested, let us search the empire to find beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint agents in each province to bring these beautiful young women into the royal harem at the fortress of Susa. Haggai, the king's eunuch in charge of the harem, will see that they are all given beauty treatments. After that, the young woman who most pleases the king will be made queen instead of Vashti. This advice was very appealing to the king, and so he put the plan into effect. So the Greek um, historian, his name is uh, Herodotus, Herodotus. Um, he wrote just 25 years after the reign of Xerxes. He wrote in his ancient book, it's called The History of the Persian Wars. He tells that 500 young boys were gathered every year from all around the kingdom. And they were castrated, they were to serve as eunuchs within the Persian court. So the bodies of the eunuchs, the bodies of women brought into the harem were the property of the empire. And I talked a little bit about this last week um, as context for understanding, especially the, the position of women at this time in this place. They are considered property. But it is not just women. It is also 500 young boys every year treated, considered, and, and actually they are treated as property. So scholar Michael Fox, he writes that everyone's sexuality in the empire, not only women's, was at the king's disposal. To fight back or to insist on one's own rights, as we would see them, would certainly lead to banishment or death, as the story of Queen Vashti shows us. So Queen Vashti, she does have some power as queen. We imagine the people who wear crowns should have a lot of power. And, and the queen had some power in that she had this position. But Queen Vashti uses that power for a very fleeting moment where she says no, knowing that she is playing the only card she has, and she is going to lose it. So she says no to this request. But interestingly enough, it is because Queen Vashti says, no, I will not go and parade in front of your friends. Um, she makes the way for Esther to come. In the larger story, Queen Vashti's um, you know, use of her power, even though she loses it in saying it, she makes way for Esther to come and do the work of saving her people. So the main message, I believe, that chapter 1 is giving us, and that the author of, of this book is telling us, he's saying, warning, 
just in plain sight until her people need her to be revealed. And uh, one of the midrash interpretations, midrash is like Jewish commentaries, rabbis writing about the story, about the scriptures. And one of the interpretations of this is that it compares Esther to the moon, sometimes hidden, but her light nevertheless shines in the darkest of nights. And when the Jews of Persia faced their darkest of nights, then Esther revealed herself like the moon, shedding a cloak of cloud. So, Haggai, the eunuch, he was very impressed with Esther, and he treated her kindly. He quickly ordered a special menu for her and provided her with beauty treatments. He also assigned her seven maids, especially chosen from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. Esther had not told anyone of her nationality and family background because Mordecai had directed her not to do so. Every day, Mordecai would take a walk near the courtyard of the harem to find out about Esther, about Esther and, and what was happening to her. Before each young woman was taken to the king's bed, she was given the prescribed 12 months of beauty treatments. Six months with oil and myrrh, followed by six months with special perfumes and ointments. When it was time for her to go to the king's palace, she was given her choice of whatever clothing or jewelry she wanted to take from there. That evening, she was taken to the king's private rooms, and then the next morning, she was brought to the second harem, where the king's wives lived. And there, she'd be under the care of Shashgaz, the king's eunuch in charge of the concubines. She would never go to the king again, unless he had especially enjoyed her and requested her by name. I told you this was R-rated. Esther was the daughter of Abihail, who was Mordecai's uncle. Mordecai had adopted his younger cousin, Esther. When it was Esther's turn to go to the king, she accepted the advice of Haggai, the eunuch in charge of Aaron. She asked for nothing except for what he suggested. And she was admired by everyone who saw her. Esther was taken to King Xerxes at the royal palace in early winter, of the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. To celebrate the occasion, he gave another great banquet in Esther's honor for all his nobles and officials, declaring a public holiday for the provinces and giving generous gifts to everyone. Similar to many of the women in scripture, to Tamar, to Sarah, Rachel, Ruth, Rahab, Esther figures out how to work the system. She figures out how to work within the system she lives in. Um, Author Rachel Held Evans, she explains that instead of standing up, to the patriarchal injustices, Esther figures out how to work the patriarchal system to her advantage. And this is how women stayed alive in those days. And it's how many of them followed God's will. And 
as Jesus' colorful genealogy suggests, um, as you read through the names of, of you know, the generations leading up to Jesus' birth, it shows this is how women even brought the Savior into the world. And so Esther, an orphaned Jewish girl raised by her cousin in Susa, enters a powerful system What becomes almost clear, most clear from almost the very beginning of the story, um, is that King Xerxes is quite shallow. Anyone agree? And I would say that King Xerxes is kind of a buffoon. This is how we can think of him. Instead of using his power to vast empire effectively. King Xerxes has a party that lasts for six months. These are his kingly duties. This is what he's doing with his time, with his wealth, with his power. And during the final hurrah of the party, Xerxes becomes furious because Vashti does not cater to his drunken wants. And so the king pulls in his advisors to deal with his rage. He wants revenge. It's like King Xerxes reacts um, emotionally, and then he calls in other people to think for him. He doesn't need to think. And, and we see that the way of these, of these advisors is they're very good at taking whatever the king is feeling and developing that into a state issue, a national Okay, so so taking how he's feeling and blowing it up into a bigger deal. So all the women of the kingdom are now going to disobey their husbands. Now, I was reading um, uh, the, the Jewish tradition, as this story is told during the Festival of Purim, is that everyone is supposed to chuckle through this part of the story. Because it is so pathetic. It's so lame, but this is how the king responds to a personal fight, to a domestic, his own kind of issue, a relational issue. And so he um, becomes, you know, he makes this law, he sends letters to all parts of the empire, proclaiming that every man should be the ruler of his own home and should be able to do whatever he pleases. This is what king of an entire empire, Ethiopia to India, this is what he's doing with his power, with his time. King Xerxes' entire existence, his identity, is based on gaining and holding on to power, to be in control, to get his own way. The inability to dominate and control his wife begins a national crisis because King Xerxes' entire personhood is based on having control. So as the story continues, we are going to observe that King Xerxes doesn't seem to understand the game that's happening. He doesn't get it that Haman, uh, Haman tells the king Every single time when they have, whenever they talk, he tells the king exactly what the king wants to 
and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. So what does this mean? Now, maybe we probably go back and talk about King Xerxes, maybe even Esther. But we are going to have to talk about ourselves. What does this mean for us? What does it mean for you? This kind of laying down your own way. What does that look like? I wonder if laying down our power and control has something to do also with how we use the power that we do have. We have to admit that our power bar is quite a bit further along than Esther's gets. I mean, we relate to Esther because we're not kings, and we often feel powerless, and yet we have a lot more power to begin with than our own power bars. Only status, like where we were born, what part of the world we showed up in, having privilege, having possessions, having friend networks, having support networks underneath us, having talents or skills or training, having a voice, letting go of control is a super frightening thing. No one ever said, I want to get up onto the top of the hill so that I can get pushed off, right? That's not how the song goes. For the one central truth that God gives us to rest your story, I would say just grab some control, guys. <laughs> it's not a safe place. But God, even though He seems hidden at times, is star, just like Esther. God is at work. God is somehow working. For the good. He's not wasting anything in our lives. And this God who is at work, he uses orphan girls to reverse kingly decisions. He uses enslaved eunuchs to change history. God even uses a pagan queen to set his plans in motion. For the Apostle Paul, he, he wrestled with Remember the parts in, in some of Paul's letters where he lists all the things he has going for him? You know, he's a Roman citizen, and he's a Jew, and he's, you know, trained, he's, he, he's, he's trained to be like a rabbi and a, or a teacher of the law. And yet, Paul says, what he's learned is this, that God says to him, my grace is sufficient for you. God says, my power is is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weakness. I will embrace my weakness, my powerlessness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Worldly power has no authority over the purposes of God. We know this. 
It's actually quite easy to say the words that your power is made perfect in my weakness, but this isn't so easy. God, what do you want to do within me? In the places and the times and the experiences 